Good morning. It's good to be here today and uh, giving Josh a little bit of a break from preaching, uh, get his voice back and all that good stuff. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, be with us this morning, Lord. Help us to trust you when we don't understand what you are doing. Help us, Father, to look to you and not our own understanding that you would direct our paths, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Lynn and I, when Lynn got sick, decided to make some puzzles together. And I love Norman Rockwell puzzles, uh, Norman Rockwell pictures, because they're so realistic. It feels like you could fit right into one of those scenes that he's made because of the way they, he's has them. He's painted them. And so I sent away, and we got some Norman Rockwell puzzles. And I had this bright idea that I wanted to put the last piece in the puzzle. So when Lynn wasn't around, I took a piece and discreetly put it into my dresser drawer. And on on to me, Lynn had the same idea. And so she took a piece when I wasn't around, put it in her dresser drawer. And so we're making a puzzle. We, we get all finished except for two pieces. Now each of us, not knowing what the other did, thought, hmm, I know where one piece is, but where's the other one? So we both started looking on the floor, on the, in the sofa, every place we, we might have accidentally put that piece of the puzzle. And so finally we didn't find anything, and I looked at her and I said, well, I know where one piece is, but I have no idea where the other piece is. So I went into the room, got my piece out, and put it in, and she looked at me and smiled, and she said, just a minute. She went in got the other piece. I was beaten at my own game. Uh, some of you don't realize, but might not know this, but Lynn was a very competitive person, and it was really funny. But life is like that, isn't it? We, when we look at our lives, we don't have all of the pieces, so we don't always understand what God is doing. And it causes us to say, Lord, where are you? And I hear that a lot when I go into nursing homes. Uh, why am I here? And the answers we can't understand because, you know, God's ways are higher than ours. And when you're making a puzzle, one of the things is you need the picture. I would not even want to attempt to make a puzzle without the picture there. It would be impossible. And yet, we try to understand our lives and make sense of it, when as Corey Ten Boone so well put many years ago about, about life, she said, our, we see life as the underside of a weaving, and all we see are the strings and the knots, and we don't understand. But someday, when we get to heaven, we'll see the top side of that weaving, we'll see the wonderful picture that God is making of our lives. But right now, we can't understand I'd like to read a little bit to you from Isaiah chapter 55, and then we're going to go to Genesis chapter 37 and uh, get some insights as to the picture that God is making of our lives. In Isaiah 55, verse 6 through verse 8, it says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will freely pardon 
For my thoughts aren't your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I include verse 9 in there too. But you see, that context, if you really read it in Isaiah 55, it's dealing with in the context of sin. But really, it's a much broader principle that is true of all of life. God's thoughts are so much higher than ours. And so we can't help but to, we can't even begin to understand what God is doing many times. But yet, God is working in our lives. One of my favorite characters in the Bible, uh, next to Jesus, is, is Joseph. And uh, Joseph was a young man, 17 years old. And he had 11 brothers. Jacob was their father. And very early, Joseph got into trouble because he squealed on his brothers. He told, uh, they did something wrong. We don't know what it was, but he squealed on them. So the brothers had a very, very quickly had a dislike for him. And on top of that, something a dad should never do, he showed favoritism to Joseph and made him what's popularly called the coat of many colors. It was a very special coat that none of his, his uh, brothers had, and so they hated him for that too. But then on top of it all, uh, let's turn to Genesis chapter 37 and look at, uh, at verse 5. Uh, we're going to see that he had a dream. And listen to this. It says, Joseph, this is Genesis 37, verse 5. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to the dream I had. We, have, we were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood up right while your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. And that, that wasn't bad enough. Joseph had another dream. He said, I saw 12 stars and the moon and the sun. And all, they all bowed down to my star, which was telling us, which was telling them that God was going to, that he was going to rule over his whole family. And their hatred grew. Till one day, uh, uh, Joseph sent, uh, Jacob sent Joseph out to the field to check on his brothers, to bring back a report. Uh, well, I don't know if that was a good thing to do or not, but, uh, and as he was approaching, in verse Genesis 39, verse 19, his brother saw him and said, they said, here comes that dreamer. They said to each other, come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him and then we'll see what comes of his dreams now Reuben comes along and he wants to save the boy so he says don't kill him just put him in the cistern thinking he's going to come back and get them and Judah says to him he says look it's not going to do it benefit us if we kill him why not sell him to the Ishmaelites who are coming down and and then we'll take his coat, we'll dip it in animal's blood and say that an animal devoured him to our father Jacob. 
And so they did that. And if we can, we're not going to read it, but in Isaiah 42 and verse 21, when his brothers are, are recounting the events that took place when they threw him in a cistern, it said that didn't he plead for his life with us and beg? And so this was obviously a very difficult time for Joseph. In fact, he might have looked to the Lord and said, Lord, didn't you say I was going to rule? It doesn't look like that's happening. And so they take him, they sell him to the Ishmaelites, and, and somehow, and, and he winds up in Potiphar's house and as a slave to, to Potiphar. Potiphar had bought him. In Genesis 39, the verse, couple of verses, it says something very neat about it here. It says, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord said to, was with Joseph, and he, and he prospered and lived in the house of his Egyptian master. Now, did you get that? He was taken down and he was made a slave, but God was with him. And Joseph prospered. And he was living in Potiphar's house, his master's house, which means that it probably wasn't as bad as it could have been. Uh, and, and that was a good thing. It wasn't real bad, but it wasn't real good either. Uh, and, and again, Lord, I thought he said it was going to rule. But Joseph's now head of all of Pharaoh's house because he, God has caused him to prosper. And Pharaoh realized, and Potiphar, I might have said Pharaoh, but I meant Potiphar realized that. But then one day, his wife noticed that he was one handsome-looking guy. And so she makes advances toward him. But Joseph refuses again and again and again. And then finally one day, no one was in the house, but he was in doing some work. And Potiphar's wife comes over and grabs him and says, come with me. And he says, no. And he fled. But when he fled, he lost his, ja his coat of many colors or whatever you want to call it. He lost the coat that he had. And, and he fled. And it should tell us something about sin. You know, we don't hang around and try to resist it. We flee from sin. And so that's exactly what Joseph did. He did all the right things. And yet, Potiphar's wife, Mrs. Potiphar, had the coat. And when Mr. Potiphar comes home, she says, look at what your servant tried to do. He tried to make sport of me. And Potiphar, as you could understand, we got very angry. And so he threw Joseph into prison. And so now Joseph's in prison. And again, though, he prospers. In Genesis chapter 39, verse 20, it says, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison the place where the king's prisoner, prisoners were con confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. And again, horrible spot. But God was with him. We sing a chorus. I don't know if I'll get it all exactly right, but there's one with us in the water, 
holding back the sea. And, there's, and it says, there's one with us as we go through the fire. And certainly, Joseph was in the water. He was in the fire. And God saw him through. And so, God will do that with us too. He doesn't abandon us. He doesn't forsake us. And if we never had adversity, we'd never know about the faithfulness of God. We would never know, recognize him as our refuge and our strength, as a very present help in trouble. But the problem is, many times in those situations, we aren't still to wait on God, as it tells us in Psalm 41, 46 and verse 1. It says, he's our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. In verse 10, it says, be still and know that I am God. And that's a lost art, being still and recognizing that he is God. And so Joseph is now in prison. And to the cupbearer and the baker of, of Pharaoh were thrown into prison. He dis, they displeased Pharaoh for some reason. And they both had a dream. And they were under Joseph's care in the prison. And so Joseph sees that they're really upset. And he said, what's wrong? He said, well, we had a dream. They said, we had a dream. We can't understand it. So the cupbearer goes first, and he says, in my dream, I saw three branches of grapes. And when they were ripe, I took the branches, I squeezed the grapes and put wine in, in and put, it on, put the, in, in the Lord, in the Pharaoh's chalice, and I took it to him. And Joseph says, that may, the three branches are three days. In three days, you'll be restored to the service of Pharaoh. And the baker, encouraged by this, said, I had a dream too. I had three baskets on my head. And on the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for, for Pharaoh to eat. But on the way, the birds of the sky ate all the baked goods off the top, out of the top basket. And Joseph says, in three days... The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh's going to lift your head, take your head off, and hang you, and the birds will eat you. And so it wasn't a very exciting thing for the baker, but the, but the cupbearer hears this. And so Joseph turns to the cupbearer and says, when you're restored to Pharaoh, remember me. Well, the cupbearer was restored and promptly forgot all about, about uh, Joseph. Two years later, Joseph... Is now, uh, or I should say, Pharaoh has a dream. He sees seven fat cows coming out of the water, and seven sleek cows, and the seven fat cows uh, were eaten by the seven sleek cows and uh, or thin cows, and they remain. And the cows remain thin. And he has another great dream, and seven heads of grain, good and healthy, come out of the water, and there were seven. Uh, Grains that were from a drought were sickly, and they come out of the water. They consume the seven healthy heads of grain, and they're they're still thin and ugly and and unproductive. And and so Pharaoh can't understand this. Gets all the important men into, and they can't describe it. All of a sudden, a cupbearer remembers. There's a guy in 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 jail. He told us that there's a God in heaven that interprets dreams. And he interpreted our dreams, exactly what happened. And so the Pharaoh gets Joseph in. He cleans them. They, the, 
And they clean them up, shave them, and all that good stuff. And Joseph says, the seven fat cows and the seven goody heads of grain, there's seven years of plenty where God, and where God is going to bless the land and it's going to be fruitful and multiply. It's going to be followed by seven years of, of drought and seven years of famine. And, he, and Joseph said, I'm obviously paraphrasing this a little bit now, but Joseph said, what you need to do, Pharaoh, is get some guy that can store, build storehouses, put all the grain, excess grain from the years of plenty in and store them so that you can feed the people during the years of famine. And Pharaoh says, that's great. You're the man. You're second in command of all of Egypt. Joseph is now a ruler. But the problem is, he's not ruling over his, his family yet, like the dream said. But sure, lo and behold, his brothers come down to Egypt to get food because there's a drought up in Israel too. And so up in Israel, they, uh, there was that drought, so they come down and make a long story short, they come down twice for food. The second time down, Joseph had recognized them immediately because he was shaving and wearing Egyptian clothes and talking Egyptian rather than Hebrew. Uh, they didn't recognize him, but he recognized them. The second time down, he reveals himself to them and he has them go back and he has carts and, and oxen and all that stuff to bring the whole, their whole family back, including Jacob, their dad. So he comes back, and uh, eventually Jacob dies. And now his brothers bury him. And, and, I, and uh, in Genesis chapter 50, it talks about, uh, and I, oh, I didn't work this one great. In verse 7, so Joseph buried his father in verse 7 and uh, and the his brothers were were really upset when in verse 15 it says when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead they said what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him and you know the first time I read this was in, in February of 1967 I was I couldn't wait when I read this, I, I was in my car on lunchtime reading the Bible at work, and, and I couldn't wait for Joseph to get even with his brothers. I was so sure they were, he was going to get even with them. I thought, now's the time. And so they said, Joseph said to them, don't be afraid, in verse 19, I am in the place of God. You intended it to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what has now, is now being done, the saving of many lives. The dream was fulfilled, ruling his people, and now he sees the whole picture, the whole picture. Isn't it amazing what God can do? But at the time, up until that point, you know, up until he was 30 years old, from 17 to 30, it was, a, it was havoc. It was a terrible, you know, he was a slave and in prison. And now that dream was fulfilled. Now the promise God made is making sense. 
now it's, it's understandable. But all that time, I think back in my life, and I've told you many times about Jack, a young man that I worked with and, and when we were both teenagers together in, in Trobs Market, and, and, and we ridiculed him and mocked him because of his Christianity. And I hadn't seen Jack for over five years. But the very night I found Christ my Savior, January 28, 1967, the first person I thought of was Jack. Jack had no idea the impact he was making on my life. And to be honest with you, I had no idea of the impact Jack was making on my life either at the time. But I knew something of what it was to be a Christian because I knew Jack. And I'd call him up every once in a while and say to him, Jack, thank you for being a good witness for me. And he said, would you cut it out? I said, no. I said, we used to mock you and call you preacher boy. But what we didn't understand was you were living for Jesus before me so that when I, became a, when I became a Christian, I would know what it was like, what Christianity was like, so I could become a preacher. We don't always understand. Sometimes down the road, things begin to make a little sense. We find the impact. And I think of Daniel, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We'll go with their godless names. I for Daniel was a godly name. And, but these guys, 17 years old as well, taken into into captivity down to Babylon in, in a foreign language, a foreign culture, uh, culture hostile to God, and they were to serve their king. And through a process, they determined not to defile themselves before God. Uh, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were, were threatened to be thrown into a fiery furnace if they didn't worship Nebuchadnezzar's God. And they said, we don't have to answer you, king. Our God is able to deliver us. But if he doesn't, we will not serve your king, your, your God. And they threw, were thrown in a fire. And Nebuchadnezzar looks in. He said, didn't we send three men in the fire? Yeah, yeah. Well, there's four. Why are there four? So he calls Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out. Their, their hair wasn't singed. They didn't smell after smoke because God was with them in the midst of the fire. And so God will be with us in the midst of the fire too. We don't always understand what God is doing. In fact, one of the things that I'm sure these men didn't understand was that 500 years later, some wise men come from the east to worship the Messiah. And it's thought, thought and very probably true that the impact that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had on that culture that was hostile to God the impact they made was the influence that carried down through the years enabled the wise men to understand and to know to go seek the Messiah. Something they didn't see in their lifetime, but I'll bet you they were rejoicing when they saw that unfold. We don't understand, and we don't understand. So what do we do? Uh, we don't know what God is doing. But I know one thing, God never wastes our time. And adversity is God's university. And so we're going to God's school as we go through the difficulties of life. In Proverbs chapter, Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord 
with all your heart. Don't lean on your own thinking. Don't try to figure it out, but just trust the Lord. We don't understand, but trust the Lord. And He will direct your paths. And some glad morning, as, as one of the hymns says that we used to sing, I'll, some glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away to a home of God's celestial shore. And as Brat, as uh, Brett, Brett, Brad Mahler, Mal, I just really messed up his name, but sings, I can only imagine what it will be like when you walk by your, when I walk by your side, I can only imagine. What will my eyes see when your face is before me? I can only imagine, I can only imagine. Yes, surrounded by your glory, what will I, my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence or to my knees? Will I fall? But God is going to show us. We need to just trust him. Trust him. Trust him in the difficulties of life. And instead of asking, where are you, God? I think we need to ask, what do you want me to see? And sometimes we go through these difficulties that, and we realize that we need to know Christ as our personal Savior. Many a person has come to know Christ as their Savior because they were in the middle of a difficulty. And with coronavirus, man had coronaviruses and was coming to the end of himself and he, he, nothing made sense. And then he opened his heart to Jesus. And Jesus began to heal him. See, God knows all we need to do is trust. Trust him. He's going to show us the way. It won't be easy, but in the end, we'll see his glory. And we'll see the beautiful picture that he's making of our life. But if you don't know Christ as your Savior, now is the time to say, yes, Lord, I put my trust in you. Living, he loved me as we sing. Dying, he saved me. Rising, he justified freely forever. And some glad morning, he's coming back again. And oh, what a glorious day that will be. Because that will be the day we see the top of the weaving. We will see that when we're walking on shore, and all of a sudden there's only one foot a set of footprints there, and then there were two, then there were one. We were going to find one. There's only one set of footprints. It's because he was carrying us. He will never abandon us. Never abandon us. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. God loves us. God has a plan. And he's working that plan. And someday the puzzle maker will show us the puzzle of our lives. Will you put your faith and your trust in him? Let's bow for prayer. Oh, Lord, life is so difficult at times. Sometimes it seems like it's almost more than we can bear. But, Lord, in those times, help us to lean on your everlasting arms, to trust you, and someday we know this life will be over. 
if we know you as our Savior and we'll go to be with you forever. And as Christians, Lord, sometimes we sort of forget where our source is. Oh, that we might remember to trust you in the difficulties of life and see you as our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. You're our light and our salvation. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.